Good afternoon. So here we are today again. Uh, we have uh, today with us JJ Valaya, a very well-known name in the industry of fashion as well as interiors. I'm going to take you to him and we'll talk about what all he's done, his journey and what his views are. So let me also tell you, this comes to you through Discover Design of JS Institute of Design. Discover Design brings to you every week on Thursday at four o'clock, um, meetings with stalwarts, designers, experts, and people who have a view, people who have a lot of experience, and we are very happy to bring them to you so that we can discover what more can be done. Okay. My name is Nain Siao. I'm the design head at JS Institute of Design, which is a small college which we started just a few months ago. And we are very keen to bring to you what all we do. But before that, let's have this chat with JJ. Uh, let me give you a small introduction to JJ. He's been um, uh, an old friend, known him for many, many years through the kind of work he's done in fashion. Uh, but to let you know that he finished his graduation in fashion in 92. And that's when he started the JJ Valaya Kutyo. And following that, after a few years, he added on JJ Valaya home to his portfolio. And of course, there are many, many umpteen stories to tell about what all he's done. And you, you will notice that he has huge amount of work out in the field of fashion as well as interiors. But to top, I'm going to just give you a small background to what all he's done. Um, I know that he comes from a family of the army and has his parents, uh, his father was in the services. Uh, so I'm very, very sure that he has some very interesting tales to tell us about that. But what I would really be interested to know is, JJ, how has your childhood experience, uh, experiences influenced your design journey? So JJ, I welcome you to the talk, please. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, when then, you know, when you do, when you are brought up in the army, which is, you know, pretty much where all my younger years went by. And uh, I was born in Jodhpur and from there moved to Delhi, from Delhi to, uh, you know, uh, Chandigarh, then Chandigarh to Pune, Pune to Lucknow, and then back to Chandigarh. So it's been a, it's a very common sort of, uh, journey an army kid goes through. And one of the things we learn is um, the multicultural sort of exposure that one gets. And also an army life is extremely uh, disciplined and, and very kind of proper. And it's the kind of foundation that one looks forward to when you're, when you're, which, which you can apply to life when you really take off on your own. So I think there are too many instances for me to go back in time and narrate, but uh, let's just say it was great um, adapting constantly to newer environments, to newer people and rediscovering so many new facets of life every two or three years. I can imagine where that comes from because you mentioned multiculturalism and I can imagine that well being the, the kind of travels and experiences you must have had, I can see that reflection in the work that you do and your statements always about your love for India, the Indianness, and the beauty of what Indian heritage, Indian environment, 
Indian techniques and Indian crafts or whatever you do in your work seems to be reflected so strongly. I want you to tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, well, India's my very soul. And I think, uh, you know, I was born in Jodhpur. So I always feel I'm the, like that lost Maharaja who sort of, you know, got a bit, not a bit, actually a lot of genes from Rajasthan and then went around the country imbibing little nuggets from all over the country and then piecing them together into a unified look. Mm. But I, I've never been able to quite place, uh, you know, the reason why multiculturalism itself is such a big influence on me. But the fact remains that anything which has a peg of royalty or something which has a sense of history or age is something that I naturally get drawn towards. And I also think that whether it comes to fashion or to home, there, there must be a sense of timelessness. And when you get into history and culture, there's a sense of timelessness that people look at older things even today. And there's a sense of nostalgia. You feel wonderful about it. And, and, and it's still equally relevant as it was maybe three, 300, 600 years back. So I think there's a degree of permanence, which has always attracted me towards uh, multiculturalism. And also the fact that, you know, we are one world, we're different people, but we're different people trying to tell the same stories in different ways. So how me as a storyteller, how can I put it all together in my own unique style and give it a completely new twist? So you're saying that for you being an Indian, as well as being an international global citizen or a player, you view yourself in both the fields equally and comfortably. And I can see that. So please, I ha I've seen your work and I think it transcends both these areas. Yes, and also it's remember we are lucky to be born in a country which probably has one of the richest histories in the world. Um, I feel in fact very sad when when people sort of try and overtly try and embrace the West, which is not our natural DNA. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong in it, but for example, minimalism, it's, it's mm -hmm. something which I think is stunning. I appreciate it. But is it what the DNA of India is? Probably not. If you look at India, we are maximalists at heart. I mean, please look at our festivals, our food. It's so complex. Our festivals are colorful or they are kind of really vibrant. Uh, if you get into our architecture, maybe the temple architecture, whatever, it's always been heavily detailed. Um, look at our crafts. There's a whole lot of handiwork happening on them. Uh, the weavers have been busy weaving intricate patterns. So we're essentially maximalists at heart. And mm -hmm. therefore, we enjoy detail. And therefore, when, when I look at Indians trying very hard, look or feel like an Italian or a Japanese just because it's the way to be, it's to me, it's a misfit and a short term sort of measure because in the long term, it's how we combine the two influences, the modernity of the West or maybe the minimalism or whatever from anywhere, but with the heart and soul of this country. And what we take out with that combination is really what's going to be relevant and will hold true for years. True, true. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that. But before we do that, I think I forgot a little bit of my duty. Let me inform all the participants. If you have any question and answers, please feel free to ask them. Uh, put them on the chat. Uh, we will be taking it up when the session's over. And um, anything in between, we'll be chatting with you. And we hope to have many, many questions since JJ is the one 
we all are excited to know more about him, his work. So let's go on to seeing some of the work that he sort of just described. Um, while this is going on, JJ, if you quickly want to say a few things about any of these, please. Yes, please. this is a line actually of tiles that we've done with a company called FCML. And as you can see, I mean, I don't really need to speak much because this pretty much supports what I'm talking about in terms of detail and maximalism. So the way I see, and of course, they, if you see, there's a very signature black and white sort of pattern which runs there. This is what we call as a shifting leaf chevron, which is a signature of our brand. So you'll find it in our clothes and our interiors, just about everywhere. And people have come to associate this with us to a large extent. But my point in this thing is when you have something so elaborate, you offset it against a barren concrete wall or do something which is really modern and clean with it. And then it becomes an interest, interesting you know, uh, narrative Other, rather than just overdo uh, something or underdo something. It's all about balance. And this is a example of that. True. Wow, this is actually my home. And this was an architectural digest feature. They came and shot uh, my home. I'm also a photographer, so I have a very keen interest in photography. And mm -hmm. this actually is a pre pretty good showcase also of Valaya Home, our furniture line, because most of the pieces you see here, whether it's the, you know, back of the bed or the dining table, all are sort of uh, created under the Valaya home banner. So this is a, again, you can see the multiculturalism plays, you know, a very yeah. strong role in this as well. Sure. More of my home. I really don't need to say much because it's all over. You can see the influences are from across the world. I'm also a collector and which is what I think that most people should be. When we travel, you must get a part of wherever you've been back to back with you. Because when you finally make a home, not a house, you're going to, all these memories are what's going to warm the space and your hearts is both. So whilst they will sort of, you know, remind you of how you procured something, they'll also bring in the rest of the world into your home. More pieces from Valaya Home, the Lal Mandir, one of our signature temples, you can't see the scale here, but this is fairly, fairly large. Mm -hmm. The image you see on the right is, and we are the only people who do this, are signature wall tapestries because we are known for our embroideries. Mm -hmm. So this particular one is at the Leela Palace in Chanakyapuri in Delhi. They commissioned 36 works with us. This is one of them. Wow. More of the tiles, different collections. Right. Again, tiles on the left. The two pieces that you see on the right was a very interesting project, which where I was commissioned by a Bahraini firm mm -hmm. uh, under the aegis of the Queen of Bahrain, where she wanted me to come and create a range using Bahraini crafts, so Middle Eastern crafts. So this was a one-year project where I worked with Bahraini craftsmen and artisans and designers, and we created a full line of furniture uh, two pieces and the details you can see here, but these were very typical to the Middle Eastern flavor. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's quite a bit of work and I'm very sure there is a lot more to see, but for the time being, I was very curious to know, I saw a lot of work which is very fine craftsmanship and probably I'm not aware whether they, you source them from 
all over the world or did you do you have craftspeople who work with it so just a bit of question how do you think i mean what what value do you see in the craftsmanship and the crafts of various or across the globe how do you use them in your in your designs well you know we've always been known for our detailing our embroidery and our textiles and that same principle i apply tend to apply to anything we do whether we're doing interiors whether we're doing a line of tiles or lighting or furnishings or carpets the dna remains the same and that is a mandatory sort of thing for any design house so if you see an armani creating something it'll always be very minimal and clean and in shades of gray but once you get into a different brand with a different dna you would see a completely different signature so we are maximalist i've always said it i uh, you know i like being larger than life i also believe that we are living a routine sort of life every day every single day of our lives anyway so if we can bring in a little bit of magic into creating these special experiences whether it's in our homes or on our wedding day or in the way we dress it's always welcome i mean why be boring all the time you have to do something which kind of excites you and excites others that's such a great tip for a lot of young designers to have that thought to go beyond to go beyond what is your reality and that's what's going to maybe set you apart i have i've seen your tapestries some some examples of that and they are known to be almost like bespoke wall art they are like art pieces would you want to just give us a few idea of what do you do how do you think of these ideas and how do you go about designing them i mean inspiration is something that comes to you without planning so the people who plan too much are normally the worst designers so i mean i'm just giving it to you so you there two there's some very cardinal rules of uh, design uh-huh. um one of them is being disciplined without drawing boundaries and though this is a kind of an oxymoron because if you're disciplined and you want to create a look you must focus on only one area of this thing but i feel that you've got to demolish the boundaries that exist around you taken as much as you can from wherever and then your mind has to have the maturity to edit because editing is a very important part so when you edit you come out with the pick of the litter as i say the best of the lot and create something which is truly exceptional and unique having said that belief in your own look is perhaps one of the most important things because you if you're going to give a confused look year after year you're not going to have loyalists who would swear by your label so i think it's very important to believe in what you do and when you do that you're not going to be able to please everybody and that is a common mistake which a lot of people do if someone wants x they give them x if somebody wants y they give them y but i think the important thing is that if you have an identity and a look and there is a lot of people which associate with that there'll be a lot of people who don't also and you don't have to chase the ones who don't associate with it you have to really pamper the ones who do associate with your look and therefore grow make your strength and make your look grow stronger and that's the only way you'll reach excellence and once you reach excellence you you know everything else follows right so now that you start talking about dealing with your customers and your clients can you help us understand how were the indian consumers when you started off some year many years ago and how are they now give us a idea of what how what, have they evolved at all or where are they 
I'm going to rewind this 30 years back. And this is where the interesting part comes in. Yeah. So when we started, there were about five designers in yeah. all. There was one design institute, which was NIFT in Delhi, mm-hmm. which took 25 students in a year. That was it. Only 25. Mm-hmm. So in India, there were 25 fashion students graduating. Mm-hmm. There were no magazines or newspapers writing about fashion. I'll start, I started with fashion. So I'll talk about that. There were no TV channels other than Doordarshan. And Doordarshan only showed farmer talk and you know yeah. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There was no internet, clearly. There was no consumer. So we really started at a time where we had to learn from our own mistakes. And I think it was the best time ever. I really can't imagine a better experience of actually understanding your industry than actually going through it with no benchmarks. So yeah. you get into a country you come into a market with clothes that bear your name. You deal with a consumer who has never bought ready-made clothes, but has always shopped for fabric and gone to a tailor. Hmm. And then you change the trend. Hmm. So it started, you know, pretty much like that. And before we knew it, there were institutes, there were fashion weeks, style had become a way of life. The internet came in, the world shrunk. Kids today are, you know, they're already global travelers without moving out of their homes. So it's a completely different world. And so I have given you an example of fashion, but obviously this applied to just about everything in design that was happening to India. So we're in a completely different zone at this point in time. So I mean, minus two months. I know. And that itself is a, almost a lifetime kind of a change. We wouldn't know what, hap- what is going to happen now. Uh, but I, I don't want to miss out anything on luxury since we, we really had you in mind for the luxury conversation. I want you to, I, I want to understand from you, what do you consider the elements of luxury since you are considered to be the master of luxury, at least in our country. And probably your thoughts matter a lot in that. So what's well, luxury? Luxury is a, it's, it's a, it's a tricky word because whilst it's, it, kind of applies to material things it also Mm -hmm. applies to things non-material for example although I'm sure after this two-month lockdown people may not feel that way but time is always a luxury and people who can actually take time out you know to be with their family or to do things that they love doing or to travel it's a luxury but coming to the you know tangible material term of luxury I think the key thing to me in luxury is permanence and timelessness. When you buy something which is true luxury, it is an investment. It is something that should be relevant today and 20 years later and 30 years later and, and should evoke the same sense of joy even a century from now. Which is why when we see some of the true masterpieces from across the world, whether it's art, sculpture, jewelry, If you see the really old pieces of furniture, furnishing, anything, textile, which were brilliantly done, the value they held then is pretty much the same, if not higher, that we hold now for them. So I think a degree of timelessness and to look at luxury as an investment is a mandatory sort of requirement. It's expensive. Luxury is never cheap. So if you are going to go and spend that kind of money, Make sure it's something that you will be able to live with and, you know, really warmly look at even when four years from now or even something your next generation will enjoy. So I think that is the key word. 
So, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting for our, our participants and our future designers to think about luxury as having certain value. And those values could be with many, many things, whether it's, it's the work, whether it's like, as you said, to do with the time, it's to do with maybe certain feel of the things. Yeah. Now, it, with, with all this in mind, so many years you've talked about saying that you, you probably started off when there was so little now I do think that there are many, many uh, brands in the in the country itself. Who do you consider to be your favorite luxury brands in the home segment? How do you see them? And and if you can name a few, that would be lovely. We're talking about India. Yes, it could be Indian. It could be, of course, international as well. Since I know that you are sort of really straddling both the areas and. You know, I'm terribly biased towards my own brand. So I would definitely yeah. say that we Absolutely. do some of the finest work in the country. But yes, there are a whole lot of my colleagues who are doing some brilliant work mm-hmm. uh, in the home territory. And for example, there's uh, Vikram Goel of um, Via Home, who does very good work, whether it's... Um, um, you know, using inlays or using brass as a material and, you know, giving it a different form. Then there's an American who has come and settled down in India, but is now more Indian than American, uh, Peter Daskoli, who does probably some really, really interesting interpretations of prints. So yeah. he redefined printing in a very interesting way. Um, you know, it's, a, it's really the list is so long because there's so much talent in the country today and such exciting talent that one can go on and on. And the last thing I do is want to kind of annoy any of my friends by not naming them. So let's just say that I am deeply envious of and very, very sort of grateful that we get to see such great talent all across the country. And also that there is space for many more. Of course, it's all transient. We are all learning. No, there are no masters and no pupils. The pupil will one day become a master. So it's a continuous sort of circle. I mean, I, I, I've lost count of the number of assistants I've had in the last 30 years, but every single time it's been osmosis. So if they learn a lot from me, I learn something from them. And I think that's what is exciting about design because there's no, it's not, it's, you know, it's not, experience that counts sometimes it's the lack of experience which makes design exciting and mm-hmm. and i think that's very important to kind of uh, as a photographer i'll give an example i i did a series called decoded paradox my phot- photographic series in 2011 which was my first fine art photography show so i had just about everybody come for it so ragurai was there and all the top photographers and a lot of people so one of the top photographers spent an unusually long time in front of the image. So I asked him why. And he said, you know, I've been in the industry 28 years and I haven't been able to do such pictures. I said, but you know what? I want to come to you and learn about cameras because I don't know how they operate. I don't know what the knobs mean, which I incidentally, I still don't. But he said, <laughs> you must realize that that is your strength. And for us to create an image like you've done, we will have to unlearn everything to get the purity of this image. So it's a very important sort of metaphoric, this thing that, yes, it's important to be disciplined in the way you're working, but not, but run free and wild when you're thinking and conceiving. So I think those, those are very important. That's a wonderful tip again for the students to say that free your mind 
and don't get limited by technology by all the technical stuff because ultimately it's you your mind and your eye which is going to do the wonder and don't so, get limited full stop you are infinite and you just have to think that way i guess so so i do think that this is this is really um going to set you thinking with students you have to really think about again when i say students i mean anybody who's a learner we really could be transcending whether i can see whether i am not only going into uh, you know his his forte is fashion and home and some prod and products which he really has been working with for many years but now photography and tomorrow i'm really curious to know what else are you thinking of i mean I, as i said the mind is a weak ally so you mm -hmm. should not use it too much you go with the spirit and the soul what you hear <laughs> within is really the eternal truth and people who follow the spirit are the ones who are always sort of content in life and normally end up doing the best work in their lives people who think too much right they just keep thinking well i guess yeah that makes sense also i'm going to just ask you since we are thinking about what's happening at present all of us are locked in do you think i know it's been a shutdown for the economy as well for general economy what happens to luxury interiors i mean we are really concerned about is it going to get up at all is it going to take off so what's your point of view so you know there's thankfully we have history to refer to and if you look at all the great depressions that happened in the world whether it was the world wars or the great depression or the plagues or just about everything the one thing that has bounced back fastest is luxury and mm -hmm. this has happened history stands testimony to this fact and the reason for that is that people have been through so much distress that they want to kind of break out and they want to enjoy life and they come out feeling that okay fine this is a part of life it may happen again so while we are around and while we have everything that we need and we can enjoy let's just go out and enjoy it so i think there's a reverse psychology which kicks in and it's happened every single time there's no reason why it shouldn't happen again so luxury normally after anything catastrophic takes probably 10 to 15% longer to come back but mm -hmm. when it does it comes back in a much stronger way than what it was when it departed so you know i'm very gungo and very very positive about the whole thing and we are just going right so ahead we, all, we all need to be equally optimistic and and there are, there is a lot lying ahead for all of us uh, i still want to take you back to your maximalist when i was looking at your screen i said oh my god the kind of products you have behind you yeah. each one is worth looking at and i've been sort of scanning it while talking to you right you know being a maximalist in your nature in the way you think you want to you talk about breaking out letting your spirits wild all that is do you ever look at anything minimalist and how do you because your your tendencies towards one kind of work or one thinking what would you advise people who may be having orientation towards something which is very minimal how would you help them out i think that's fantastic see as i said if that is what they are true to it's mm -hmm. what they should pursue it's a very simple thought process there is no i mean uh, formula to this you have to indulge yourself in what you truly believe in because there you stand the maximum chances the chances of actually succeeding because you'll be excelling at it 
So if you're a minimalist at heart, please go right ahead and do it. There's nothing wrong with it. And again, we being Indians can actually exploit everything Indian in whichever form we wish to. For example, I mean, if you have India's all about decorative motives and very complex forms and features, all very well. But the same thing on a simple concrete wall, maybe etched in in some sort of way, you maintain minimalism and yet you bring in a spirit of India or you use techniques of inlay into, I believe in contradictions a lot. And I think that's what really makes life interesting. So for me, the rough and the smooth need to coexist. Uh, the old and the new need to coexist. Uh, black and white need to coexist. And it's when they come together is when the magic happens. It'll be very boring to only keep on seeing one sort of you know thing because yeah. you'll get bored of it eventually. So you want something else. It's the principle of life. If you right. keep eating dal every single day, you're going to want something <laughs> else very soon. So it's when you have, you're enjoying two or three different things, then you're getting a taste of everything. Sure, you'll be more, you'll be partial towards one and a little less partial towards the other, but you'll enjoy everything. So I think as long as you're enjoying everything, but you excel in something that you really believe in, the sky's the limit. I can imagine that. I've been thinking since you you have a different background, you came in from a fashion background and went into home a little later. How do you think this correlated? How do you think it helped you to look at things differently? Or does it at all? If you were to look at somebody, suppose a student right now thinks of getting into another course, having a different background. Do you think it helps them to be differently unique like yourself? Well, yeah, see, I think, I think as I said, it depends from person to person. I've known of people who stuck to one discipline and have never moved away from it. Mm -hmm. I've known of people who have done 20 things and done them all excellently. Mm -hmm. I mean, go back in time, the Renaissance man, the concept of the Renaissance man has existed from generations, from centuries, where a singular person can indulge in six, 10, 12 activities and be good at all of them. So right. I think really it's a matter of personal choice and personal motivation. If you're motivated to do something which is other than what people know you for, please go ahead and do it. I mean, and you should, because you'll deprive yourself of doing something that you could have done very well. And eventually when you're kind of, you know, done with life and you're planning to move on to the next life, you're going to ask yourself a lot of questions, especially about regret. And mm -hmm. the common principle that I believe in, the mm -hmm. things you regret at that time are not the things you did. It's the thing you, things you never did. So you might as well do all those things and, you know, get over with them. Yes, that's true. I think so. This is to say live life to the fullest. And if you are really wanting to explore or try out another field, you must go out with that huge, generous heart and mind and soul and do the best. And, and with a lot of honesty. Because Absolutely. people become dishonest with Absolutely. themselves and they don't tell themselves the truth. Correct. Um, so there are a lot of questions lined up, but I was wondering, is there some weird, uh, did we have something for the participants? Let me have a look at it. I think that those questions are going to, we are going to ask the participants some questions. Huh. And when the participants reply, I'm going to ask JJ what he thinks of that. So let's see that. Okay, so here's the first question. Um, which of the three convey a stronger Indian identity in interiors? 
So crafts and artifacts, uh, Kota stone flooring, very simple, Jodhpur furniture. So let's see what the participants have to say. I'm sure you're familiar with these names that we have put up. Uh, and we, the, after that, I'm going to ask JJ what he thinks. So it is, it is, we are looking at some of these, all of these material being sourced in the country and they are used extensively in a lot of interiors. And let's see what participants think, how much of it is Indian, how much of it is not even noticed to be that. Okay, so the answer by most of them say crafts and artifacts. Um, what would you say, Jay? Yeah, so my guess would have been that only. Okay. Because it's, it's, it's a logical sort of deduction. We are, we are really, as I said, all about various crafts and a lot of maximalism, a lot of detail. So both okay. these things really fall into, sure, the other elements are also conventionally well quota stone, but it's a stone, mm -hmm. it's a material. And um, furniture, though not Jodhpur should have been Rajasthani because Jodhpur furniture is really made all over. But okay. But the first is really what India would associate, you know, best with. And I think it's quite a, um, well, there's another one and I'll talk about that later. The, this one says, what conveys luxury in interiors? So we heard a lot about what JJ was saying about luxury and let's see what you think. The use of natural material, is that luxury? Modern minimalism or Qualitative natural light, all three belonging to very different aspects. So let's see what you have to say, participants. I'm sure there's something really interesting coming up. I think I know what it will be. <laughs> let's see that. I would have selected something which I think is not so common. Okay. Oh, here it says, is the use of natural material. That's the highest grosser and modern minimalism and natural light. Well, tell me, what is it you feel? Yeah, so that's exactly the direction I was looking at. I thought the 42% would have been a little higher, but uh -huh. I guess not because yes, I think the use of natural material is always true luxury because it's also a connection with, with the earth. And yeah. when you talk about connecting with nature and bringing nature inside your homes, this is perhaps one of the best ways to do it, which is try and work with as many natural things as you can. Sure, yeah. combine them with man-made elements, which is always a welcome relief. But as, as much as you can, bring in a lot of natural. Light, close second, actually. If I would Absolutely. go for the I would say but light. I would have gone for the light. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it just changes the dynamics of the energy in a home. So if I were to really do my kind of poll on it, I'd go with one and three at a 50-50 and oh. both being equally important. I was thinking of light and I said in this time and age, we seem to be so stuck in the interior with artificial light. Uh, I think a lot of my working life I spent under artificial and really look forward to the natural light, its heat, its glare, whatever it may be. But I, I'm sure, you know, when you are much younger, you don't think of all that. When you grow older, you start appreciating many of these things. So, well, wonderful to see that. And 
uh, do we have any any more? Oh, we have one one more. Uh, from this, I would think DJ would have something more to say. What should be the story of your interior? Okay, this is what we're asking the participants. Should it be the history of your client? Should it be a strong central theme? Or should it be a current trend? So let's see what the what you all guys have to say. Different people, different thoughts. Let's see what you have to say. Okay, so, okay, the client is very important, it seems. So for your, for any home, they're saying, let the story of the client or the journey of the client be the main focus. What do you say, JJ? I'm, I'm so happy that I am, I've got the pulse of the market. Right. Because <laughs> here again, I would have gone for history of your client and the strong central thing, theme being an equal sort of divide. Okay. Right. Current trends is is faddish. So, you know, you like them today, but next year you'd hate them. So right. it's not the best idea to bring in a lot of trendy items into uh, homes, homes which are going to be with you for a while. Yes, if it's a teenager's room or something, it's a separate story. Right. But otherwise, you have to understand the DNA of your customer mm -hmm. because he or she is going to live in that home for the rest of her life. And so you have to understand that you are creating a space which has to give luxurious comfort or comfortable luxury, whichever way you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. And the other part being that because you're working on it, clearly you have your own signature, in this case mine, then mm -hmm. I would therefore have a very definitive look feel to the space. And therefore point number one and two are equally important in my context. Right. I think we are the, our participants are really smart and or it could be either you're very smart or we are getting people who are interested in the field and hence know quite a bit about it. I'm very happy to have all of you here. And now let me take you, Gigi, uh, to a lot of questions by the participants. I'm going to start asking you so that we can reply to all the interested ones. Palak is asking, what are the five best qualities of an interior designer? Okay, five. Yes. Does he have to have five? <laughs> Let's start with one. And no, no, I'll just, I, I don't believe in these numbers. So I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I think the number one quality is the belief in a look. That's very important. So therefore, the designer should not be confused and should be not out to please everybody. And mm -hmm. then he will, that means also means he's being true to himself and will give you the best product. Number one. Number two, he must understand the DNA of the inhabitants. Therefore, the customer rules. And you must understand what they're looking for. And you must be strong and brave enough to say no if they strongly resent what you are suggesting. Mm -hmm. Because then you're going to start adapting and trying to fit it to their look. And neither they're going to be happy. I mean, both parties are going to be unhappy. So sometimes yeah. it's good to say no. Okay. So I think um, just be honest. Uh, understand what the family wants, what the customer wants, stick to your own look and focus on quality and detail. The two things will never let you down. Do not take shortcuts in quality and God is in the detail. It's a very old saying and a very, very relevant saying. Well, thank you. This is really giving your, you know, fullest to, to this question. 
there's Anushka who's asking, how do you bring together typically Indian design with minimalist influences? So it seems that there is a perception that Indian designs mean a lot of being maximum. Absolutely, so absolutely. Can you help her understand what it means? So I, this is the principle I believe in. And, and we must understand there's a very horrible term which is used often, which is called ethnic. Mm-hmm. And it's a word I detest personally. Mm-hmm. Indian is a word I love. So mm-hmm. when you think of India, please don't limit yourself to some very typical kind of interpretations of it. India is a very varied country. And if you go north to south, east to west, we're living in a continent. So there's so much to imbibe and put it together with minimalism. And this is the answer to true elegance and true chic, where you're able to combine the maximalist with the minimalist and come out with something so unique and so beautiful that you're going to love it every single day of your life as you grow old. I mean, this is the magic mantra. True. I think this probably applies to a lot of one's own philosophy of visual development. Um, I have, this is by somebody, and this is a very practical question. The person's asking, I have worked with different designers and it has become a common practice to ape and copy designs from Pinterest or other sources. How does one go about creating fresh designs? I mean, really a very basic practice probably happening in the industry. What do you suggest? So, It's very important to take advantage of technology. Now, what technology has done is shrunk the world, Mm -hmm. which means that we have access to just about everything and anything that is happening in the world, be it through Pinterest, Instagram, or wherever. There is no harm in seeing what is happening across the world because it opens your eyes. Mm -hmm. There is a big harm in copying. Having said that, design is evolutionary in nature which means that everything that you see now has been done before, but in a different way. And therefore, how do you interpret a feel, a look, a mood, a sentiment into your distinct identity will be the answer to all these sort of things. So get inspired by what you see. Just don't copy it. You don't need to. And yes, I do agree it's common practice. But, you know, I'll give you a simple example. We did, for example, uh, sorry, I'll have to go back to fashion, but many years back, we did something which was a fantastic cut. It was something absolutely new and we put it on our runways and everything. It was absolutely unique and I'm not taking any names here because it'll get controversial. Two years later, probably the world's top luxury brand had the Mm -hmm. same silhouette on ramp. And obviously you're talking about a player who's now accessing the world, whereas we are more India-centric. Is that copying? No. What happened? The assistants who sit down and research, put together images from all over, they make a mood board, and people then look at influences and put it together in a completely new way. So this is what happens. So any progressive design house will work like that. Any regressive one will keep on aping whatever's happening in the world and keep getting substandard work and really be focusing more on how to make money than make a name. So you've got to take a pick. True. So one needs to be very, very careful there and probably have your own values correct. Uh, Vaibhav's asking, what does a customer look for when investing large amounts of money in luxury textiles? That's textiles. A 
yeah, since you have done tapestry and you you have a lot of experience in such right. Well, I think I've actually kind of given an answer to this question, which is permanence and timelessness. And here okay. again, when, for example, well, let's just take the case of the tapestries we've done for, say, the Leela, the leading mm-hmm. five software. I hope that they stand the test of time and maybe a century later are pulled out as these masterpieces that were once done by the House of Elias a century back. And to me, that is the most important thing. This happens all the time. Today, I have brides of mine from 24 years back, 25 years back, coming back with their daughters who want their wedding clothes altered. So to me, that is a sign of luxury because we're talking about many generations later somebody relating to something that was created a while back, mm-hmm. getting the product in pristine quality. It looked as if it was made yesterday and wanting to use it again. So to me, that is amazing quality and that's what you should stick to. So when it comes to textile, go for quality, go for timelessness. You will never go wrong. True. I think you really are talking about the value of that and perhaps the sentiments involved as well. Uh, Priya wants to know views on your views on two commonly heard statements. Good does not mean expensive and cheap is not always better. So in terms of design and material, uh, JJ, for you to explain to Priya what this is. Good does not mean nothing. It's nothing but a debate, but I'll give an answer also in two lines. So always remember one one statement that good is the enemy of best. And if you want to be the best, you cannot look at good. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, some more questions for you. I hope you're not too tired now. No, 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 no. Keep going. No worries. Okay. So, um, uh, so our participants are asking when designers have the same foundation for a design, how can you make yours more luxurious than others or anyone, anyone else's products? Um, do they mean the same foundation means what? A little... So, I understood the question. Yeah. So when designers have the same foundation. So I guess you're talking about, uh, you see, it won't be the same foundation. Unless you're talking about designers coming from the same foundation, how do you... No, no, no. I think I've understood the question, Nain. So okay. I'll give an answer also. Okay. Okay. So, so first of all, one of the principles that I follow is to never run in a rat race. Mm-hmm. Because that's the race, you know, as a dear friend of mine once said, that he realized that he was running a rat race and the rats were winning. So in other words, you just cannot be in any race. There are lots of people doing fabulous quality work. You must respect everybody. And your endeavor should be, without compromising on quality, can you create a distinct signature look which people appreciate, which can stand the test of time, and which you can sort of very confidently say you're very happy with. I think when you address these things, that's what you should focus on. If you're saying that your quality will be above everybody or anybody else's, that's not entirely true. There are a lot of people doing fantastic quality. Mm-hmm. True. Um, There's a a question on art and I'm sure you'll be able to uh, look at this as well. So Amandeep's asking, several people buy art as a status symbol. Do you think many understand art 
uh, and is that a, is there a way for them to learn or understand art when they have bought it or they have commissioned it okay so it's impossible to put the entire planet on one pedestal firstly there are all kinds of people in the in the world and everybody has their own reasons for buying art mm-hmm. he's listed out quite a few and uh, um you know we must hold no grudges against people who buy art simply because it's not for its snob appeal uh i do believe that without art life would have lost a lot of its meaning can you imagine a barren space with nothing which evokes some kind of uh, you know response from you so art is what makes a place complete it adds value it adds uh, depth it adds appreciation and it's something you learn to appreciate over a period of time because well you bought it because you liked it and you're going to only fall in love with it even more as you spend time with it so that you, to generalize people in one category it's impossible there are several and as he rightly said there are people who buy it for snob value some buy it because well hey the interior designer told them it's great the mm-hmm. third buys it because they commissioned it the fourth said i love this artist the mm-hmm. fifth says i like the colors and it goes with the color of my plant outside there can be 20000 reasons so forget about that think of buying art as an investment again i come back to the point of being looking at investing in something which is timeless and permanent and which will give you joy over the years if you look at my tirade that i am on it's all about acquiring for yourself but also for your generations and also for the people who will come later and that way you're also enjoying it a whole lot of other people are enjoying it and there's a timelessness to whatever you're procuring at this point of time right so in relation to this timelessness and one of the participant has very has noted this down and she is asking noyanika is asking uh, your defines luxury to reflect uh, through permanence and timelessness many furniture decor articles such as rugs which are a part of luxury segment may not always uh, reflect this timelessness in about two decades which means probably they don't last they of course reflect timelessness but do they last how would you advise designers on this niches no this the principle of something not remaining relevant why two decades even two years later exists in any product not just rugs mm-hmm. and those are the faddish ones so therefore trends you have to be careful with if i were to ever invest in trends i would go for trendy low priced items be it home items or clothes but if i want to invest with a lot of money into something for homes or something that i want to wear i would go for something which has a degree of permanence in it and which is why i kind of keep you know advocating that so mm-hmm. rugs as a matter of fact are something that can last a very long time in fact the older they get the more expensive they get so some of the best masterpieces of the kilims and the persian rugs and all over the world are also some of the most expensive carpets you can buy in the world today so uh, as i said uh, enjoy fads enjoy trends because they make life interesting but also know that there's a new trend the next year or the next season or whatever so keep it limited to low value items but if you want to really you're feeling rich and you want to spend a lot of money then buy something which is going to stay with you a while so talking about money can you actually incorporate luxury and opulence on a small budget so jj this is really a very tricky question i think 
What do you feel? Uh, it depends on who's buying. Yes, yeah. the person, the person who's buying, if he, he's a connoisseur and a true appreciator of luxury, he will know the value of luxury. Mm-hmm. And whether he buys a masterpiece which is twelve feet by twelve feet, or buys a masterpiece which is six inches by six inches, it's still a masterpiece. Mm. So that is the focal area. Now there's a whole lot of people who will buy something just because it it kind of looks tangible. That is the wrong category of people. And whatever they buy is not going to last. So it's a really clear trade-off. What are you looking for? Are you looking for something which you're going to hold dear to your heart? Or are you looking at something you're going to wear or use and throw the next year? You know? mm-hmm. So true. So while we are still on luxury, do you think there's a difference between uh, luxury definition of people who are millennials or the older generation? What is your experience? This is a good question. And this is a question that we kind of always, you know, as I was talking to my daughters the other day. Uh, so I'm, I'm a Gen X. Right. right? <laughs> my Nick, my elder daughter, the Gen Y, also known as millennials. And my other daughter, the Gen Z. So we are three generations sitting in this house. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we kind of have these talks and all. And of course, my Gen Z thought I was a boomer, which is even before I was, which I'm not, thankfully. So X, Y, Z, pretty much the mind space is pretty aligned. Sure, they have their own quirks and sort of this thing. But when you go on to the luxury level, they kind of think alike. So I have my think tank right here in the house where I can actually sit with three, uh, three of us can actually go through three generations and apply it to everything I'm doing. So, so I don't think there's a huge disconnect in terms of luxury products. There is definitely a change when it comes to the understanding of luxury. For example, a lot of people currently feel that travel is a wonderful luxury and they would rather spend on beautiful vacations and great hotels and great experiences as opposed to locking something up and keeping it aside. Similarly, a lot of people, current generation, feel that they don't need to buy a house, but they'd rather live in rented homes and move into new spaces. They don't need to buy a car, but they need to, you know, so there are lots of shifts happening. But when it comes to that two things, and I'm here again, because it applies to both our fields, they all want the perfect wedding and they Mm -hmm. all want a beautiful home eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the field we dabble in. So we either do luxury interiors or we do great wedding clothes. And I think these are the two experiences where everybody refuses to take shortcuts. At least most of them do not want to. Mm-hmm. They all want beautiful homes, all want to get married in style. And I think that's really it. That's a great insight. So some things don't change no matter what. And that's a good thing to know. So, uh, there are still some very many questions and I'm going to ask you one related to yourself. Uh, so uh, somebody is interested to suppose was to wants to work with you. And so what's the process of one is what does it entail to work with you, which means what qualities are you looking for if you were to hire any intern or any designer in your office? You know, I'll tell you honestly, I'm going to give you a very simple answer to this. I am going to see 
how well is the application letter written? Oh, wow. I so, honestly, so. that's where it begins for me. Right. Because we get close to 50 to 60 applications in a month for people wanting to work with us. Out of that, 70% send us one-liners. Mm-hmm. And to me, who's been brought up in these beautiful English schools and all where everything has to be perfect and mm-hmm. the art of letter writing and well, you have to apply to somebody you must, you know, you must really want to work there. So when, so 70 to 80%, we just chop off because they applied in the wrong way. But then there's always those 20% who really write their heart out. And those are the people then we shortlist, see their portfolios you know, cut them down to a smaller number and then do interviews and the processes follow. But I think it all begins with how do you approach your employer? Right. Right. JJ, I'm very sure a lot of people after hearing you would be more keen to work with you and you've given them the biggest tip. Write the first, make the first step feasible, you know, most appropriate. JJ wants to read your letter and wants to know how strongly you feel about it. So that's a good tip. Um, some more questions to follow. So there is a question about, there are so many products available in the market and um, does it mean that the design, and designers have been picking up those products and fitting it into the interior design of spaces. Now, is it necessary to get into detailing with raw materials? I mean, is it to be always original? What, do, what would you advise? I would say that if you're doing something afresh, you might as well put everything into it. So I'm not saying that it has to be complex, but it has to be perfect. So if you keep striving for perfection at every level, so right from the time where you're laying your floors to you're doing your walls, to what kind of stones you want to use, the kind of finishes you want to do on the walls. Uh, There's so many details that go into the making of a home that to ignore them, especially when you're starting afresh, would be naive. So in your best capacity, and depending on how much you really want to spend, whatever you put in, whether it's a hundred buck per square foot stone or a 12,000 rupees a square foot stone, make sure that it's something which is well thought of and it's, it's something that you can live with over a period of time. Right. So that's a, that's about being original, but also being sensible about it. Uh, how can you go about working with craftspeople? Well, I think they've seen the kind of craftspeople, craftsmanship you have, uh, you have applied in your work. So how can you go about working with craftspeople at the grassroots level? As very often large design houses take advantage of this section in the industry. Um, I guess this is about really, is it so? And is it generally, is it the large design houses or is it just big? It's actually, the medium ones that take them for granted. So I'll correct her. Oh, yes. yes. Maybe it's, yes. You need to explain how this is in the yeah, world. You see, you see we're, living, we're living in a country which is replete with craft. So the amount of access we have to craft here is not funny. But are we supporting them enough is a completely different question. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to an ethically sound, large uh, design house, they will never shortchange anybody, especially the craftsperson, because there's ethics and reputation at play. It is the next level which goes and actually works through middlemen and exploits you know, all kinds of people. Today's craftsperson will die if we do not support them. 
and they are dying also mm-hmm. to experiment with their craft. They are so used to making the same ambies and the same booties and the same, you know, techniques that they welcome people who come with fresh ideas and they are excited to work with them. So I don't think, I don't think this, if more and more young people went and worked with, <clears throat> you know, our craft people, we would have such a unique sort of economy of craft-based design that will be incredible. Having said that, it's also very important to keep it relevant. So craft can also become dated. So how do you take something which has been there for generations, but then think of it in a completely new way and therefore excite your consumer and your craftsman? So I think it's it's a game of just everybody feeling really good about what they're doing. And, uh, and, and top level design houses do not exploit craftspersons, period. Well, that's good to know because the, we definitely need a lot of, sub, we need to support the craftspeople and we need to write, have the right intent and maybe the right method to do it. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just that the big are bad. Uh, there are probably exploitation at many levels. At the same time, there are there are a lot of brands and companies which are doing great work too. Um, let me now probably uh, give you the last question and then uh, we are going to end the session. So this is a question from a textile manufacturer and he or she is asking that India is moving towards minimalism, probably the experience of the manufacturer. So mm-hmm. what can I do to encourage and uh, reignite the love of Indian textiles. No, I I am convinced that Indian textiles can also be minimalistic. It doesn't mean that having access to a particular method of weaving or something does not mean that they have to be very elaborate. The same example that I gave of using, you know, textures on a concrete wall and stuff like that. There are many ways a creative mind will be to, will be able to adapt an Indian textile to look more modern, more contemporary and more relevant to today. It doesn't mean that they are going in extreme minimalism way, but they'll come to somewhere in between, which will make it, which may, you know, which will make it more acceptable and therefore, in fact, more exciting than the standard planes that you see available everywhere. So specifically in terms of furnishing fabric, I think there's a world out there waiting for us using Indian craft, using Indian technique, using Indian inspirations, but doing the Indian minimalist look as opposed to the Western minimalist look. There's a completely different DNA there. Correct. I think it is possible to look at anything that is Indian and try to figure out what minimalism is to you. So uh, look at the kind of, I think that all designers really need to have this awareness of what we, what we have around us, whether it's in the art scene, the craft scene, the craftsmanship available to us in all products, in all material, and being aware of it, how would you apply it in your designs like like jj said being original is important but you also need to be practical about the designs that you're going to propose to your client if there is budget available for it well and good start off because that is going to give a new product to your client a new idea to your client but if it is within it isn't within the budget then what can you do best with what is available in the market the old design is not just about picking up things from the market and bring it back into arrangement within the space. And this is what we'd like to let you know that um, at GSID, we take all troubles and pains to 
help you introduce not only to what the whole design process is, but we are introducing you to the thoughts and the values of what design means. And this is what we would like to inculcate in the learners who are with us to appreciate fabrics, to appreciate raw material, to appreciate the technology and you know, inculcate it and put it, project it in a new manner to the clients. So this has, this brings us to a close of the session. We are very, very thankful to JJ. You have, I, I think you have really, I've, I've not let you stop even for a minute. Like there are other questions and you have answered them so beautifully and so much from your heart. I can sense that. Thank, um, you. thank you very much, JJ. Uh, before we go, I just, there's this last polling question for uh, our students, uh, sorry, our participants. Um, you are most welcome to become our students, but that's a different thing. You are a student as long as you learn something from today's session. Uh, we are completing our last round of interviews for the June session. We'll welcome you to ask us any questions if you have. Come and visit us when the lockdown's down, but we, we are available on phone on our website. Um, and let us know whether, please fill up the poll and let us know uh, whether you'd be interested to do so. So thank you very much. Uh, I hope you have really enjoyed today's session. Uh, I think Aj, in one hour, I've just made JJ talk about everything that he had to say, and maybe I am sure we can sit another few more hours to gather some more. But thank you so much. You've take us, taken us into your homes, into your past experience, into your work areas, into the industry, and into your heart. And that's been so 